This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. My dear friend and guru brother Ram Das died a few days ago. And I thought it would be a good idea to recount a number of the stories that come from the early part of his being Ramdas, stories that probably not a lot of people know about. I was a graduate student at Stanford uh, in the mid and late 1960s. Ramdas had gone to India on his first trip. He met Maharaji. He came back. He came back to America. Was transformed and began traveling around North America teaching workshops and lectures about what it is that he had learned in his time in India, and particularly how his encounter with our guru, Nim Karoli Baba Maharaji, had transformed him. In those days, there were very few spiritual books that talked about uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Eastern spirituality in ways that were really accessible to beginners. The books that were available were often poorly translated. They were contradictory, were very confusing. I was a yogi myself. I was doing a lot of pranayama and yoga and meditation and uh really restricted diets while I was trying to be a graduate student at the same time. But Ramdas had this ability to take this really deep material and present it in a way that a Westerner who had no background in contemplative spirituality could really get the core teaching. It was a Truly remarkable gift that he had. I was a graduate student, as I mentioned, living in Palo Alto, and right across the street from me was a guy named Joel Waldman, who had lived with Ramdas at Millbrook in upstate New York after Leary and Alpert had been kicked out of Harvard. So whenever Ramdas 
would come to Northern California on his travels, he would stay at Joel's house. And I got to be drinking buddies with Ramdas because I was a good friend of Joel. I remember driving down Skyline Boulevard in San Mateo County in the back of Joel's Cadillac convertible with him and me and Ramdas feeling like the luckiest yogi around. Eventually, Ramdas decided it was time for him to go back to India and be with Maharaji. But uh, he was feeling kind of guilty because at that point, Maharaji was really not available to Westerners. There had only been, to his knowledge, four Westerners who had ever met Maharaji. There was him, Bhagwandas, and an English couple. So Ramdas had turned all these people on to Eastern spirituality, particularly onto Maharaji through his teachings and through Be Here Now. And yet, he didn't feel he could invite people to come to be with Maharaji because Maharaji was a hidden guru at that point. So uh, he felt badly about that. And just before he was about to leave, a wonderful meditation teacher from New York called up and said, uh, Ramdas, there's a uh, yogi that has just come here to America and I think you should come and see him. So this was Hilda Charlton calling up Ramdas and telling him about Swami Muktananda. Ramdas went to New York. He met Swami Muktananda and initially had the feeling that Swami Muktananda was the same level of being as Maharaji, an opinion that he changed later on. But at that point, that's what he felt. So he thought, well, if I'm the front man for Swami Muktananda, I can introduce so many people to him. Nobody knows who he is. If he just goes on this tour by himself, he won't attract that many people. But if I'm on the stage with him, people will come because uh, I've got this reputation and they will then be attracted to Muktananda's wonderful teachings and they can go and be in, with him and his ashram in India and I can go be with Maharaji and everybody's being fed. So he then uh, went on the Northern California tour with Swami Muktananda and called up Joel and me and asked us to organize the Northern California part of Swami Muktananda's first international tour. It was not as easy as you might suspect because Swami Muktananda insisted on being treated like a prince with thrones and cars full of flowers and the whole, the whole regal relationship there, if you will. So uh, Joel was uh, not able to keep doing this. He got all stressed out and he, he bowed out. And at that point, uh, Kyle McGee, who later... Maharaji named Vishu, whose property is where the Hanuman Temple is now situated, joined me. Uh, Kyle was getting his bachelor's degree at Stanford the same year as I was getting my PhD at Stanford. So we organized the first tour there in Northern California, and Ramdas and Swami Muktananda came 
uh, flying into town and workshops, lectures, uh, television spots, radio spots, the whole thing. Uh, and a number of Westerners who were friends of Ramdas's from New York came, and that's when I got to meet Christian Das and uh, Mohan and Radha and a whole bunch of people. So uh, Muktananda and Ramdas left uh, for Australia and then South India. I completed my PhD at Stanford, which I had been struggling to do for a while, but now I really wanted to get to India. And in fact, Ramdas came to me and said, I am inviting a few very pure young men to come to India and study with my teacher, Haridas Baba, who had been the yoga teacher that Maharaji gave to him when Ramdas was in India on his first trip. Uh, I didn't want to tell Ramdas. I didn't feel all that pure. I said, okay, I'll do that. And he invited Dwarka, Bonner, and Krishnadas, and Rameshwardas, and Raghu, Raghvindradas, and uh, I'm forgetting somebody here, Mohan. He invited all of us, I think, to go there and be with, with Haridas Baba. And as I was about to uh, go to India, I got a telegram from Haridas saying, I've come to America. I'm coming to America. I'm not going to be in India. If you want to study with me, don't come to India. Wait where you are. I'm coming to Davis, California. And I did some very deep examining and asking, should I stay here and be with this yoga teacher, the guy that Ramdas has set me up with? Or should I go off to India, not knowing anybody at all there, and just see what happens? And uh, through Maharaji's grace, I got this very clear message, I should go to India. So I did go to India. Uh, I was up in North India. Ramdas was down in South India, still doing this thing with Swami Muktananda. They were at the uh, Satya Sai Baba ashram, and at one point, Ramdas uh, found this warehouse when he was being given a tour of the ashram. And in the warehouse were all these items that many people thought were the things that Satya Sai Baba manifested out of thin air when he was on the stage. And Ramdas said, what are all these things? I thought he manifested them. And the guy that ran the warehouse said, no, no, he doesn't manifest them, but he uses his mind to transport these things that we buy and store in the warehouse, he transports them using his mind onto the stage, which we all thought was pretty funny. So uh, when I got to India, the first day there was the holiday Holi, H-O-L-I, where it's the holiday where the Indians throw colored paint or colored powder at each other and just get wild. I thought, wow, this is India. I didn't know it was a special holiday. I couldn't believe how crazy everybody was. But then, of course, it turned out as only a one-day event. I felt that I was really exhausted. I needed to go somewhere in order to calm down to get my bearings. And I decided that I wasn't that far from Swami Muktananda's ashram in Ganeshpuri. I went there and stayed for about six months or so. And during this time, Ramdas would come occasionally because he had this connection with Baba. And at this point, Maharaji was really not available. So he would come. And I remember one time we were 
on the floor seated next to each other doing chanting. And at the end of the chanting, Ramdas put his chant book down on the floor. And I said, Ramdas, Swami Muktananda doesn't want us to put the chant books on the floor because the chant books are God. And Ramdas said, well, isn't the floor God too? <laughs> Which I thought was a pretty good answer. Uh, eventually, Muktananda made a marble statue, had made a marble statue of his guru Swami, Mityan, Swami Nityananda, the fellow who I really felt my connection to. And the statue was going to be consecrated and turned into this living being by the Shankaracharya, who's almost like the Pope of Hinduism. It was a really big deal. And thousands of people were coming from Bombay to uh, be there for the consecration of the statue in the new temple, including Muktananda's premier Western devotee, Swami Rudyananda, Rudy from New York. And the day of the consecration, Rudy said, I'm going to take a nap. I'd like you people to wake me up before the consecration. He said that to some of Muktananda's people. And for reasons that are still a mystery, nobody woke him up and he slept all the way through the consecration. Meanwhile, Muktananda had put Ramdas up on the stage right next to him. And Ramdas got all the glory as Muktananda's sidekick. And when Rudy woke up and found out about this, he was enraged and huffed out of the ashram and never came back. And Ramdas then had this pretty close relationship with, with Swami Muktananda and had some quite remarkable meditation experiences in Swami Muktananda's meditation cave there at the ashram. Uh, after being at the ashram for six months, I decided that uh, I really wasn't getting what I needed. I'd come to India because I was pretty unhappy. I was this PhD in mathematics, which wasn't very fulfilling. And I really threw myself into this life at the ashram. Eventually, I weighed 113 pounds. I had uh, malaria. I couldn't digest my food. Uh, and at the ashram, there are no mirrors. And either you're well enough to work every day out in the field, in the orchards and the fields, or you were sick enough to leave the ashram and go into Bombay to a hospital. So I finally, I wasn't strong enough to go up a flight of stairs without stopping to rest. And I thought, I better go to the hospital. And I went to the hospital, I looked in the mirror, and I looked like I just escaped from a concentration camp or something. I was just like completely skin and bones with a shaved head. And uh, at that point, I uh, decided it's time to leave the ashram. It's time to leave the ashram. So I came back. I told Swami Muktananda, Swami Muktananda that I was leaving. And I did. And I came into Bombay not knowing what I was going to do next. And as I was walking around the streets of Bombay by Baba's grace, Muktananda, not Muktananda, by, of course, Maharaji's grace, I bumped into Mohan, who at that point was Steve. He hadn't met Maharaji yet, or at least he hadn't gotten his name yet. And Steve was there taking care of his wife, who was to become Radha, uh, who had a bad case of hepatitis. And he said to me, you've got to go over to the Delhi side and go up to 
Nanital, where all these Ramdas people are waiting for Maharaji to return. So I got on a 24-hour train ride. I got to Delhi. I took a bus up to Nanital. I got to the Evelyn Hotel where the devotees were staying. And the first person I met was Danny Goldman out on the veranda with his uh, lungi pulled up. So he was getting a suntan on his legs. He was reading a novel, drinking tea, and eating white bread toast with jam on it. And I had just come from this place where I was almost starving to death and getting up in the middle of the night to do all these practices. And I thought, what are these people doing here? They're having such an easy life. Little bit did I know what life with Maharaj would end up being like. So anyway, there were a bunch of people there at the hotel, but also a number of more committed meditators, shall we say, decided to go up higher on the mountain, up to a place called Kosani, where the British had imprisoned Gandhi at the Gandhi ashram. And they were up there meditating and doing their own cooking and having a very, very uh, quiet and simple life. Uh, there was uh, Krishnas and Raghu and Dwarka. And I don't remember. About a dozen people or so were up there. All, I don't remember all, all the people who were there at this time. And after being there for a week or two, a telegram came saying, Maharaji has returned. Come immediately. So here we were out in the middle of nowhere. On Sundays, we've been reading the Gospel of John. Ramdas would read it out loud on Tuesdays, the chapter in the Ramayana about Hanuman. And we were in this very uh, quiet, focused state. And the message came, the guru has returned, come immediately. So Everybody was very excited. They hopped in these buses, this bus, and drove down the mountain and then drove up another mountain pass to uh, Kenshi. Now, many of these people had met Maharaji for a few days or even a week or so earlier, but he had told everybody to leave and he had sort of gone off on his own. Nobody knew where he was and they were waiting here for him to return to Kenshi. So, this was the beginning of Maharaji's staying put in one place long enough for Westerners to gather around him. So we came to Kenshi. There was Maharaji on the tucket. There were some people from Nanital who were there already. And then those of us from Kusani came, and he was so inviting. It's hard to describe what it was like to be with Maharaji, but at least on one very mundane level. It was so informal. People were just lying around and eating and, and rubbing his feet. And uh, he was talking sometimes about God, but sometimes about very mundane things. And it was just the, the feeling that almost everybody had, I think everybody, was that you finally felt that you were at home, that this was why you would come to this world to be in this incarnation. In the beginning, there were so few of us going to the temple every day that we would go in Ram Das's Volkswagen bus. Krishnadas would drive the bus. Maharaji had first called him driver, and he called Ram Das commander-in-chief. And he told us to do what Ram Das said, 
but some people didn't do what Ramdas said. They snuck back and went to be with Maharaji instead of doing what Ramdas said, and that created all kinds of dramas. But we had this really very, very precious time where there were just a few dozen people with Maharaji going there every day and having the richest kind of experience. Um, one story from that time, Ramdas got uh, one of the first copies of Be Here Now in the paperback form uh, mailed to him from America, and he gave it to Maharaji. Maharaji put it under his blanket. He didn't say anything. And the very next day, Maharaji said, uh, you're printing lies in that book of yours. And Ramdas said, no, I don't think there's any lies. And Maharaji said, here, see. And he pointed to a page. That there was a picture of Haridas, and it said that Haridas had been silent for X number of years, like eight years or something, or 12 years, I forget. And Ramdas said, well, that's what he told me. And Maharaji said, no, it's not true. And he called over one of his devotees, who was the head of the forestry department in all of India, and said, tell him about Haridas. And the man said, Haridas was an employee in the forestry department. He worked in an office, and up to a few years ago, he was talking just like everybody else. So Maharaji said, see, you've got to change the book. And Rama said, but Maharaji, it would be very expensive to change the book because it's printed in sections. It's on a web press where they print 24 pages at a time, and then those are bound together, and all the 24-page the, the uh, pieces are sewn together. And it would be really expensive to change this now because it's all been printed. And Maharaji said something that I still remember. Money and truth have no connection. Money and truth have no connection. Change it now. And now meant now. So Ramdas left the ashram. He got on a, a bus back to Nanital. He sent a telegram to Steve Durkee at the Lama Foundation, who was in charge of the printing. Uh, and said, you've got to change this page, which was a little bit tricky because Haridas had been to Lama, and the people at Lama Foundation really loved Haridas, and here we're saying, there's some lies here, you've got to change that. A few days later, a telegram came from Steve Durkee saying, you're not going to believe this, but I contacted the printer in Albuquerque, and he said, we didn't print that part yet because when we were going to print that section, one of the, the printing plates was cracked, and it was a picture of Maharaji on that page. And we went to the files where we keep all the pictures, and all the pictures were there except that one picture. That picture had disappeared, so we couldn't reprint that whole section, and we're awaiting your instructions. So here it was that not a penny was wasted, and uh, Ramdas was able to tell the truth and not have to spend a whole bunch of money at the same time. So uh, during about six months' time from first meeting Maharaji to when a bunch of us were told to leave India because our visas had expired, we spent almost every day with Maharaji, uh, partly at Kenshi, and then when it got colder, Maharaji went down and started spending time with, uh, at, at Dada's house in Allahabad. There are so many stories about uh, being there at Dada's house, being up in Kenshi, that some of them are recounted in Miracle of Love. Uh, eventually, 
as I said, we were all told that we had to leave. Not all of us, but a lot of the Americans, the Canadians, didn't need a visa. They got to stay, and Krishnas and a few other people had uh, done the visa game better than the rest of us. So Ramdas and I and Mohan and Radha and about three or four other people went to London. We got a house in London. Uh, we stayed there for a few weeks trying to get our bearings because often there's a lot more uh, culture shock going from India to America than America to India. So we were uh, having uh, a uh, transition there in London. Eventually, we all came back to our homes in America. I ended up living in Berkeley. When I first came home, I had a really bad case of hepatitis and eventually ended up living in Berkeley with Vishu McGee. Ramdas would come and stay with us. And he was then invited to uh, teach a uh, course at the Naropa Institute, the first Buddhist university in America in 1974, which was a year after Maharaji left his body. We were all completely shocked that Maharaji had left his body. It seemed that he was indestructible and uh, uh, the, the uh, manifestation of complete power. But as everybody knows, he left his body in 1973. So there we were at Naropa Institute uh, the two big courses were Ramdas's The Yoga Yoga of the Bhagavad Gita and Trungpa's course on Buddhism. They each had a thousand or twelve hundred people in them, I believe. Uh, one of them, them taught Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night, the other Tuesday, Thursday night, Saturday morning. And it was almost like a, a, a dueling match. Who could have the best lectures, and Ramdas put a great deal of study and care into his lectures. Uh, it was a, a very precious time. Uh, we The satsang really got to be together in a very intensive way, and then it was all over, and we went our separate ways. I ended up uh, going back to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I lived with uh, Krishna and Mirabai Bush as they were beginning their Dharma seal business and Ramdas went to New York City. Uh, he and I were working on a book that eventually was called The Journey of Awakening and he would occasionally come up to Cambridge to work with me on the book. Uh, eventually Danny Goldman and Dwarka Bonner got involved in the book. Jagannath Danny Goldman. Uh, and one day he came up uh, to Cambridge and he was transformed. I said, what's going on? You seem like a different person. He said, I've met this remarkable person in uh, New York called Joya. And Maharaji in disembodied form seems to be living in her basement in Brooklyn. And... Uh, when I say that he was transformed, I really mean that. I mean, people were coming up to him and saying, you look like a different person. Uh, they wanted to touch him. And even just being around him for those few days after he left, people could feel this difference in me. So I said, I want to come to New York. There was this teaching scene going on with Joya. 
and this teacher, Hilda Charlton. Uh, so some of Maharaji people, Ramdas people in New York were coming, and I was the first person to come from out of town. Uh, I came there, and uh, it was very, very intense. We were meditating. People were going into samadhi. But Joya needed to be more than just a great meditation teacher. She needed to feel that she was the mother of the universe. And eventually things started falling apart. Ramdas left. I eventually left. And pretty much all the Maharaji people left. Uh, I ended up moving to uh, Santa Cruz, uh, working at the Hanuman Tape Library. And eventually, Ramdas moved to Santa Cruz. I moved him with uh, in with him, and uh, my dear friend Vajra Richard Johnson. I became the director of the Hanuman Foundation. And at that point, uh, Ramdas had been talking about conscious dying uh, off and on for years, but it wasn't really time for that to be accepted by society. Eventually, though, he taught a workshop in Rhode Island sometime in the late 1970s, at which Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came as a student, and at which his friend, Stephen Levine, was the Buddhist meditation teacher. Ramdas had known Stephen from the Haight-Ashbury days, when Stephen was the editor of the uh, newspaper of the neighborhood, and they got to be friends. And now, Ramdas invited Stephen to be doing some of the meditation teaching at his workshops. Stephen and Elizabeth really hit it off, and she invited him to become her apprentice, if you will. And uh, he started teaching with her. Eventually, she got more involved in a war on negativity and a, a kind of a violent psychodrama approach to things, which didn't dovetail too well with Stephen's work. So Stephen and Elizabeth parted ways, and uh, Stephen started teaching on his own. Ramdas and I very quickly realized that uh, what Stephen was doing was quite remarkable. He was doing it as part of the Hanuman Foundation, and it seemed to be the most interesting thing that the Hanuman Foundation was doing. So Stephen was joined then by Ramdas and me to begin this uh, bringing conscious dying into America. And we eventually decided that it would be great to have a place where we could actually put into practice what we were talking about. What we're talking about is conscious dying, taking the traditional teachings of the East and applying them to the encounter with life-threatening illness and dying. And we decided we would move to Santa Fe and start a dying center. Uh, Ramdas got busy doing some other things. He began to do a lot of traveling. Stephen uh, met Andre and married her, and it was left to me to uh, start the dying center in Santa Fe from 1981 to 1984. Ramdas would come and uh, support the, the patients there at times. Uh, we ended that in 1984. I moved back to California. Ramdas at that point got involved with Seva, and our paths didn't cross nearly as much as it had up until that point. Although after he had a stroke and moved to Maui, I came to Maui a number of times and taught with him. 
So that was my experience of the earlier days of Ramdas, the earlier years. I would just like to say that I am so deeply grateful for my friendship with him, the way that he brought me to Maharaji, the teachings that he brought that transformed my life and the lives of so many people. Journey well, my dear brother. So much love to you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.